Welcome to ShareHouse, where you'll discover tips, trends, and takeaways from top product and e-commerce experts. We'll talk about it all, from product design to product sales, e-commerce to retail, and operations to marketing. Join your hosts, Emerson Hammer and Russell Steed. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the ShareHouse podcast. Today, we're having a conversation with Alex Burge. He is from Shift. They are a supply chain partner. This guy has so much knowledge when it comes to sourcing, nearshoring, you know, far shoring, all the shorings. Um, so Alex, do you want to give us a quick intro into you and, and what you do? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so I'm the, the co-founder and CEO at Shift. Um, we're, a, we're a supply chain partner and a design firm. So we, we specialize in basically anything product. Uh, kind of the tagline that we use now is uh, we make product happen. So that was kind of the most general way to def define what we're here to do. Um, we have, so we, we have our headquarters here in Orem, and then we have offices of full-time employees in, in China, multiple in China. We have a full-time office in uh, Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. And then we have, have a, an office in Mexico City. And so between our, our local design team, um, we have we have a number of different designers that kind of specialize in different types of products, outdoor, backpack, apparel, hard goods, uh, between the design team and then between these these different stations globally. Our goal is to be able to kind of bring your products to life, help you with your supply chain, help you with kind of all things product uh, and get things delivered. So in a nutshell, that's what Shift is. Um, and, and we're just starting our sixth year of business. Uh, five-year birthdays here in in a few Ooh. weeks i guess so yeah all right dude out of the yeah, toddler congrats. stage you know you're you're, yep. you're, real, you're a real kid He's a, that's, that's right awesome, man. He's a, well, you're, I, you're a grown-up in business years it's like yeah, same yeah, as a dog yeah. right seven years <laughs> for everyone in business i don't know something like that yeah yep. now our chances of failing are slightly less likely but yeah you may <laughs> you, you may pass a five-year mark that's true no yeah. awesome well that's congrats well congrats happy birthday on the the five-year birthday that's huge um, but for you guys, I know you, yeah, you've been up for five, five plus years now. Um, but if I remember right, you have like your family or something like that. Don't you have like a, you have some, uh, ties to supply chain, like with your, your dad doing stuff like this as well as kind of like your, you grew up kind of in this world. Isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, my dad, he's an entrepreneur. Um, it, that's what he's done my whole life. And he's, and he's kind of been involved in a lot of different industries, but uh, the one that I remember the most that was kind of the most foundational was the um, was the printing factory. So he had a couple of apparel factories that were smaller, but his printing factory was was larger scale. It was here in, in East Bay um, and they had at one point 450 plus employees. And so it was a real a real, you know, large scale factory. So they had all the giant Heidelberg presses and the, the stuff you see. Um, you know, kind of large format making packaging, making papers and books and pamphlets for big software companies. And, and so that was what, you know, as a kid, he did that for 17 years, hmm. basically from when I was born all the way through, um, 2009 ish. And so, yeah, I grew up around factories. I was the kid that would call into the factory phone, you know, and, and they'd get my dad and, and go visit him. And we built my Pinewood Derby car on his like, <laughs> equipment and um so it was really good it was a good good exposure and and always something that i thought was pretty cool and then 
And then my dad and I uh, worked together in another firm prior to shift and we did supply chain. And that's kind of where I got a more formal introduction. I got my degree at BYU in, in supply chain. And then we've obviously done done shift since then. So um, yeah, lots of manufacturing. I didn't think I would, I, I kind of fell into it because of just exposure and opportunity. I, I didn't grow up thinking this is what I wanted to do, but certainly entrepreneurship is is kind of what I, what I did it for. And that the rest is just kind of gathered and, and uh, continued to compound. Most That's of awesome. the, what are the kind of the types of companies that you work with most? Are they like, are you kind of specific in the e-com realm or is it kind of more broad than that? Yeah, it's, it's certainly more broad than that. I mean, the, the brands that are the most fun are usually kind of the, the up and coming, you know, um, the brands like we do a lot with Pura, Thread Wallets, uh, Brixton, uh, mm-hmm. Purple Mattress. And so those obviously are really fun brands to have an association to and be a very small part of their story and in helping them. Um, but but uh, we have customers. I mean, Chuck E. Cheese is one of our customers. Uh, <laughs> no so we do we do hundreds of thousands of trinkets and things like that for Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, still going very strong. Uh, That's and, and then, you know, we do, we do, con- we're doing French fry cartons and hamburger cartons and, and pet food tubs. And so there's kind of the stuff that's, it's not as fun, but it, it helps pay the bills, you know, and it's, it's high <laughs> volume repeat. We're looking at a, a deal for a tuna deal right now. So, yeah. you know, it's all kinds of stuff. <laughs> uh, we won't do the tuna. We'll do everything else though. The packaging <laughs> and the, 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 the other products, but, um, I yeah, it's, it's all over. Your, uh, can only imagine your sample room of having like all these Chuck E. Cheese little like <laughs> finger traps in there. And then you got like the, the yeah. <laughs> sample room yeah. must look fun, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. That's fun. That's a cool thing about uh, like supply chain. It, it's uh, it's process oriented, but you can do that across the board. Uh, the principles apply to almost every industry, um, but everyone needs supply chain. Like that's the the core foundation of of a product based business. Um, so that's awesome. So kind of to, to tailor us a little bit to our uh, our demographic, or I guess maybe to me specifically, I like to use some examples maybe. So if we think through, I had this idea a couple episodes ago and I want to kind of run with it. Russ is already like, oh crap. Um, no. I had this idea a couple of weeks ago and I want to kind of think through or bring this to fruition of a hat that has a sunglasses built into it. So like it has like a little visor, you can flip down sunglasses <laughs> and you can you can wear it that way. So it's like a sunglass hat, all right? So that's my my billion dollar idea. That's that's my retirement money right there. I know this idea is going to take off. So if we use that example of something, and I came to you and kind of said like, "Hey, Alex, I need to develop this like amazing product." What would the process be of working with like a supply chain consultant like yourself? Um, what would be kind of like your suggestions? Would you go start like, "Hey, this is kind of from factory." Like, just me walking through that process of working with a consultant and taking it from there. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, so it really just starts in kind of the, the intake, right? And so every brand that works with us has a different need. And, and one of the things that we do is really well is, is tailor our solutions to our customers. And so that's why we, we don't really associate ourselves with like a brokerage or a, a firm that does kind of pass through stuff. We're really a partner that tries to analyze, okay, Emerson, you're going to do this. But what is the end goal and, and what is important to your company's, you know, what are your what are your top line goals and and what is the outcome? And so we start there and, and, and understanding that will inform some of the supply chain and design design decisions that come thereafter. And so we have that kind of a discussion, understand what your goals are, your timelines are, your budget, 
And once we understand that, we kind of put together a package of this is what we think you need to be successful and this is what it's going to cost. Um, and you're, you're welcome to take it, you know, according to our suggestion, or you're welcome to pick and choose um, based on maybe you want to do some of it on your own. Um, but that's where we start. And so with something like that, with the hat and sunglasses, um, pretty, pretty simple product, but maybe more about like how you make that look cool and, and, and the design <laughs> phase. Um, and so, so we would have you sit down with our designers, they would intake, they would come up with ideas, they would sketch, they would come back to you with a number of different ways you could take the product. Um, and then you can kind of have a voice in saying, okay, I want to go this way, this way. And we just whittle that down until we've really designed together the product on paper that, that really captures your vision. Um, and from there, uh, we, we get into the manufacturing bit. And I guess one thing to say is that that, that makes shift unique is uh, because we started as an operations company, a supply chain company, and then we added really high caliber talent on the design end a few years in. We have this unique capability where most firms are either one or the other. They're really good at manufacturing and they can kind of do the design or they're really good at design. And then they're up at night on Alibaba as designers trying to get it done. And there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with those two different focuses, but because we took the time to really develop and then, and then brought in a lot of talent, uh, when we're designing, we're thinking about the supply chain. And so you don't have this disconnected experience of like, hey, here's your really cool hat design. Now go find a way to make it. And then you figure out that the factory you find can't really do that or whatever. We're thinking about all of that at the same time. And so it's very smooth. And we, we go through that design together and then it goes into sourcing. And so I don't know, do you want me to talk now about the sourcing and the manufacturing or stop there? Well, I think first I have to add, I just came up with a new feature for my hat where <laughs> <laughs> this is crucial. I want to add a fan on top, you know? So it's like those little like wiener schnitzel hats or whatever. So now you oh, have yeah. like a cooling system and sunglasses. Yeah, this is multi-feature. Air, air, air conditioning. Oh yeah, that's going to be great. So I think that's, that's key to add to the conversation now. Um, but I do like that, that take of, I think design um, is definitely like, cool. I have this cool idea, but how do you actually bring it to fruition? And then all those pieces that go into it, I think a lot of people don't understand like, hey, maybe you, like my, my experience is in the luggage industry and understand like, hey, I may be a manufacturing a piece in Vietnam, like the overall assemblies there, but there's pieces coming from Korea, from China, from Cambodia, from Thailand, like all over the world, even though it's assembled in one location. So I think that's awesome that from your firm side, you're able to identify the entire supply chain realm of, of what goes into that. So I think that's, that's key. So I'm kind of curious on that note, what are maybe some other examples of things that would, knowing the supply chain would affect how you design a product? Uh, I mean, uh, yeah. One, but I'm, I'm curious what others might there be? What common ones are there? Yeah. A lot of it is just manufacturability, right? So when you go over and you understand that, uh, for example, a backpack or a hat or whatever um, is made by people at sewing machines, you know, it's not made by robots. There are some things, very few things in the manufacturing world, and they're usually hard goods, um, high precision or, excuse me, plastics. Um, those are highly automated industries. They still have some touch. But when you're talking about a lot of the goods that we make, especially a soft good, it's somebody at a sewing machine doing this stitch, you know, 10,000 times over and passing it to the next person that does this thing. And so when you really start to understand manufacturing and when your designers understand manufacturing, 
you, you don't design a backpack. You design a backpack the way that you know is going to be efficient, cost-effective, um, and, and able to even be done. And sometimes it's like, I, this, this pocket would be really cool and we'd slap it here and I want it to have these angles. And it's like, well, you know, first of all, shaping, you know, can you even make it look that way? This is fabric. Like, can it really sit the way that you can write it on paper? Um, second of all, how are you going to do that? Because you're going to need seams here and you're going to need seams here. So you can't have that aesthetic, right? So it's stuff like that, that you get down the road. And again, the, the, the thing that inspired, part of the thing that inspired us to bring design in was one, we felt like that was, you know, obviously something our customers, we could fuel them and help them build their products faster. But two, I heard a lot of like, I, I went to this design firm, I got it. Then I had to take it to someone who could manufacture and they basically have to rework half of it because they weren't thinking about the guy at the sewing machine making the bag and what they can actually do. So that's kind of, that, that's kind of what I mean when I say, you know, designing with that in mind. Yeah, absolutely. I, I could definitely see the, the major pros of, of having both in-house and having a lot of experience with both. That makes sense. So maybe kind of high level, uh, you kind of address some of those, those key points of either like soft goods versus hard goods. Uh, maybe just like 30,000 foot view of when you get a product, maybe like the top niches of like where you might look to source. So like basically like what realms, if you're like, like hard goods, is that more in China? Soft goods maybe is more um, like Asia somewhere. And then our electronics, electronics in Mexico or something like that. Like where, yeah. where's that the, happening? When we say hard goods, are we talking um, electronics as well? Or are we talking like, you know, can we define talking, soft and hard? Because, you know, coming from the marketing <laughs> side, yeah, I've got some ops experience, but but hey, I'm curious. These are some hard goods, Russ. These hard are goods. some soft yeah. goods, right? Yeah. Got I think, and that's a good question. Yeah. So you've got consumer electronics. That's kind of its own category. And it certainly plays a lot more into the hard goods space because of the, the plastics usually that are involved there. Um, but, but, but it has its own, it's its own world. And frankly, we don't get heavily into the consumer electronics because it takes a different type of team. And we made that deliberate decision up front, um, that we, we want, if we're going to do something, we want to be the best and, and or strive to be the best. And so, but I, I certainly have experience doing it and can understand. So, so let's talk about that. Um, there, so there are a lot of factors and I was writing about the other day and it's probably over 20 things that I would consider and we won't have time to go through all of those, you know, today, but th there is quite, uh, quite a lot that goes into where should I go? Um, and one of them, like you mentioned, is the product category and the strengths of the country that you should go to. And so at a very high level, uh, you know, one thing I'll say first off is I think right now we're talking a lot about nearshoring. We're talking a lot about getting outside of China. The whole world is right. Um, and, and for good reason. And, and our company has done the same and we're lucky enough to kind of be ahead of this curve a little bit. So we're, we're, we're established in other countries. Um, but even to this day, and, and I would assume forever, China will be a powerhouse and a place that you should strongly always consider. Um, and yes, there's, there's risk, there's geopolitical risk, there's, you know, shipping uh, costs and lead times and all of that, but nobody in the world can touch China as a whole in their capability to, to turn product and to turn it flexibly at low MOQ and that the, the amount of diversity that they can, that they are expert in is tremendous. And they've been doing it, you know, for, for such an amount of time that, that a lot of the things you'll experience in, in, 
a, a regenerating Mexico or the U.S. or or smaller Southeast Asia countries, you just don't deal with it in China. And so we can get into some of those items, but that's the first thing I'll say is there's this counterculture against China, but China's pretty fantastic. And I would love to see China remain a, a powerhouse. Are we creating redundancy? Are we doing these things? Absolutely. And that's our plan for all of our customers, but, but they're not going anywhere. And when we get further into automation, they'll be the first to do it because they have the money and they have the infrastructure. So anyway, that's a, that's a side soapbox. Um, <laughs> But but as far as things, so so you're looking at like Vietnam and other Southeast Asian countries are really good at technical soft goods and soft goods in general. Um, footwear is big in Vietnam. Wood products and furniture is really big in Vietnam. Um, they do plastics. Consumer electronics is much stronger in China and Taiwan, although Vietnam is growing in that industry. Apple and Samsung both move certain operations into Vietnam. Um if you look outside of Vietnam, so it goes China and then Vietnam is the second obvious choice. And then as you get further outside of that, the countries, there are more challenges, but they, they're, they're good at certain things, but they're usually the things that take less, less infrastructure because they just aren't where, you know, the other countries are. So things like clothing or, or bags or things less with the, the electronics or the heavy, heavy, uh, you know, technical stuff. And then if you look over in this side of the world, um, America has actually got, you know, when you're looking at packaging and printing that in certain categories, they can be extremely competitive because it's so highly automated. And so you talk about printing a newspaper, like you're, you're paying for electricity and you're paying for paper, which is a global commodity and you're paying for a small amount of labor. And so that's why it works. And that's why we can print newspaper. Well, not, not to mention that you need them every morning, but you know, <laughs> you, you can do that with pamphlets. You can do that with that kind of stuff. And so we've actually outbid other countries sometimes in, in those categories here. Mexico um, is really good. They've got a really strong automotive and aerospace and medical device industry. Um, but you're not talking about like, hey, I want to I order 500 of something. They set up for the big guys, you know, the big car manufacturers, the big medical device makers, aerospace. They're less contract manufacturing in those categories and more like manufacturing uh, companies set up factories there. Um, really good in like the co-packing and packaging space. Um, they're also have a great leather industry. Um, and then it used to be a massive shoe industry, shoe leather industry. It still is. I mean, Nike does a lot of like their shoe stuff down there, shoe insoles. Anyway, I could, I, I'm probably going on a little too long in this question, but you know, <laughs> there's, there's a lot, there are, there are a lot of different regions and you certainly want to think about that. But I would say the majority of the time when you're starting a company, you're going to go to China or you're going to go to, to Vietnam because you usually don't have all the other reasons that you would go to other countries to start, but that's not always the case. Sometimes you can do it. I just love that. You know what you're talking about. That's like so refreshing. So I think just like you going on that, that's like, Hey, you can get as detailed as you want on that question. I think that's, that's awesome. So thanks for sharing just like a, a little bit of light on that. That's awesome. Um, what is your take? So with you guys yeah, being like a supply chain, um, a, a tool and solution for, for brands. Um, what's, what's pros or cons versus using a sourcing site such as like Alibaba versus working with, with an agency where pros and cons of both of those, those avenues. Yeah. So Alibaba is fantastic. You know, there's nothing like it in the world um, in terms of a catalog of, of factories. And we found fantastic factories and I still look on Alibaba occasionally for certain needs. So 
I would say for a starting entrepreneur, Alibaba is fantastic. You just need to know what you're looking for. Um, excuse me. Uh, the, 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 there's a lot of crap on there too. Um, and so you, you, but, but with 15 minutes, um, with 15 minutes of things to look for, you can go a long way on Alibaba and finding a fantastic partner. The, the challenges of Alibaba is that it's, it's really not great out of China. And you'll notice there's a filter that you can be like Vietnam, Pakistan, Turkey, whatever. I have never found a factory that's actually in those countries when you filter. And I don't know if that's factories just trying to like put on their profile that they're in Turkey so that people will filter for them or if I just haven't <laughs> done it enough. Um, but they're not, they're not great. They're really a China-based, you know, engine. Um, and so... If you're going to China, I would absolutely start there and talk to us, talk to somebody who knows Alibaba and get a few tips. There were some ways to filter some, some red flags to avoid. Um, amazing though. You can find some great stuff. Now, if you work with a company like us, um, it, it's just a totally different package and we're not for everybody. And we talk to our employees about what we're trying to be is the Ferrari. You know, we're not trying to be the Ford. And we can't afford to be the Ford most of the time because we've hired the best talent we could possibly find. And that's expensive, you know, in terms of we, we want we want to put people on big problems and solve big issues for companies that are valuable. And and so we've kind of had to pick, uh, you know, uh, do we want to be the, the Walmart way and just get crazy volume? Or do we really want to go in and have these tailored solutions for companies and try to drive a lot of value to their bottom line? And if we do, we can't do it with like, you know, a bunch of students, we need to get people who are really, really, really good and, and put them on the job. And so we're not, um, uh, you know, we're not, we're not priced quite like a Ferrari. We still try to, we're, we're, we're extremely competitive, but we usually make our money through efficiency so that we can still give people a better price than they would get without us. And we can carve out efficiency for ourselves. Um, but what that means is that the project scope is quite important. And so get, getting back to your question here, if you work with us, it's more of a tailored a solution where we try to build something for you. And, and it's not like, Hey, I want this widget. Um, even going back to your hat example, if you said, Hey, I want, you know, a thousand of these, we're probably not the firm because you're going to pay, you're going to pay for us to do that. Um, and at, and at that you're better going on Alibaba and maybe getting some consulting help. Um, but the, the, for us, it's like, Hey, we're a brand and we're, we're a year in and we've proven that we've got sales, but our supply chain is breaking or we're five years in and we just rocket shipped through, you know, 10 X or two X or five X to revenue. And we are, we're broken. Like we just destroyed our supply chain capabilities. We fit really well in there to say, okay, we can upgrade your infrastructure. We can, we can get you out of the country you're in. We can drive efficiency because we have buying power. We, you know, we can throw you in with our, our purchasing power on packaging and get that down. And, you know, so it's really that kind of an experience. And so um, when people come to us, we do our best to evaluate, is this a good fit for you and us and be honest about that? But um, it's not always. And, and if I were to start my own company, I wouldn't go to shift if I didn't have budget and, you know, the right experience. I, I try to be, really scrappy and bootstrap it for a while. And then I would go to a company like shift. I like that you, uh, 
I kind of feel like a lot of people in your position are like, ah, oh, don't go to Alibaba, don't go to Alibaba. It's not that great. It's going to be so hard to find a product. The first product that I ever made, I found the manufacturers on Alibaba. It took me like probably, I started with like 50 factories and I filtered that down to two that actually could do what I needed it to do. And because everybody's like, yeah, we can do that. And then when it got down to it, they're like, no, we can't do that. And so um, it's, it definitely took some time on my end to to filter it down and find a partner that actually could do what I wanted them to do. Um, so I see that as a, another pro to working with somebody like you, where you already have relationships with uh, factories, but there's nothing wrong with Alibaba if that's within your budget. You talked a little bit about kind of the state of the industry of like, hey, we've been in business a year, five years, and our supply chain is breaking down. Um in my previous position, I was in the spot where like, yeah, we were five plus years old and I felt like our supply chain is breaking down just due to COVID, I feel. <laughs> what What's your take on the current, just the state of the industry right now between supply chains and you kind of mentioned a little bit about transitioning from offshoring to nearshoring a little bit. Uh, maybe just kind of talk a little bit about like why that transition's happening and maybe some low hanging fruit or some ways to uh, navigate the change in industry and supply chain. In a nutshell, yeah. are any supply chains not broken? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good question. Yeah. And and it's kind of been this like good news, bad news thing, right? Where it's like, hey, good news, guys, there's a trade war. Or bad news, there's a trade war. Good news, there's a trade war. Like people need us now more <laughs> than they needed us before, right? And that's literally been our story is like we started a supply chain company and six months after we went into a trade war and we didn't have an office in Vietnam at the time. So we're like, you know, and then there was this pandemic and then there's on and on. And so it's been, it's been pretty, it's kind of been pr- pretty brutal, but it's also increased the value of people who can support you. So, so your question, I guess, Emerson was the state of the industry. Um, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to say. Um, it's certainly better now than it was a year ago in a lot of ways. In some ways it's not. Um, but the, the key drivers, you know, that we all talk about, number one, that the China Taiwan conflict is pretty unnerving right now for the supply chain world um there's there's kind of this toying with taiwan in in a few weeks ago china showed that they could cut off their trade with their navy um there's the missiles there's the talks there's all the threats and so without getting too deep into that if that if that goes south it's not just taiwan and china it's all of asia that's going to be pretty upside down from a supply standpoint and so that's one of the big worries, right? And, and so we have some customers that are in Taiwan. Obviously, that's really scary if something happens. Um, we have a lot of customers that are in Asia. And so we're watching that closely. Um, the, the others are the, the cost of fuel has been all over the place, right? It's getting better. Boats are starting finally. They were $4,000 pre-pandemic, went up to twenty-five dollars or $30,000 per container. Um, now we're seeing some containers under $10,000 again. Um, the, the trade war is another one. Like we mentioned, the tariffs are sometimes as high as 40 or 50% on goods out of China. That's driven people out, you know, so there are others, but I think those are the primary three that we talk a lot about. Uh, oh, and then the fourth is pr- the lead times on shipping. And you guys have experienced that, you know, you get your container and then it sits at the port for three or four weeks or five or six or however many. It got really bad there and it's still pretty bad, but it's getting, it's getting better. It's recovering. And I think we're, we're in a good direction, but um, those are the main drivers. Now things to, things to think about. I'm, I, we're number one, like get redundancy built. 
don't jump ship, but get redundancy built. Because like I said, China's not going anywhere. They're not going to, their whole economy is built on manufacturing. They're not going to disappear off the map and the world needs them and they'll always need them. So don't, don't think that tomorrow you, you need to flee China, but tomorrow you should definitely start working on having another factory somewhere else, ideally non-Asia based, but if it's Asia, then at least non-China based that is, and take the six to 12 months to get them to the place where you, you know, you have some work going through them. You're, you're safe in the event that something goes crazy, you can you know, flip that switch and get all your capacity through the, the redundancy. So I'd say that's the number one thing to do right now. Um, but then watch it. Like I said, don't, don't jump ship because there are things you're going to give up leaving China that you don't necessarily need to yet if, you're, if you've got redundancy. We talked a lot about about Asia. Um, I haven't done anything personally in India. I've seen a couple of people trending more to India. Do you have much experience in that? And that's I haven't heard much like at least drama between U.S. and India lately. Or do you have any thoughts or anything on that region? Yeah, it's India isn't isn't a place that we've chosen to set up a lot of operations. We've done some stuff there. We have several Indian national employees, and you know we've 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 kind of looked at that. But um, over in Vietnam, and they, I was just talking to them actually a few weeks ago in Vietnam, and. And talking about India, and and while there's certainly some categories that are still really good over there, um, they've really adopted the the IT software tech, you know, as their main thing. And so, it, it, I think you're going to see that continue. Again, I'm not the expert on India, but from what I what I'm seeing and what we're hearing, they're continuing to really double down on you know medical and and or medicine and tech, and less on the manufacturing. Um, and part of it's because the infrastructure, you know, it's, it, there's unfortunately a lot of poverty and things that really make it challenging to compete with some of the bigger nations in terms of capital. But mm-hmm. that's, that's probably the extent of my knowledge there. No, that's good. Great. Bud. Thanks for the insight. Um, I guess one more question before we kind of go into like a story time mode, I guess, of, of some stuff. Um, maybe what are some of the like oversights that you see from a startup, either on the design or manufacturing uh, side of things that you, you more commonly see? Um, that's a good question. Oversights. Let me rephrase your question. Make sure I understand oversights that companies make when they get into it. Yeah. Like maybe like they either don't calculate like the shipping or, um, design process, like, Oh, this, which it's always going to break because you didn't factor this aspect into the design maybe, or material choice or something. I'm not sure, but is there, or maybe some things that, um, startup should look at when sourcing from a factory and they're like, Hey, they didn't vet this factory properly or, or anything like that, that maybe uh, you might see more commonly in startups. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say the first, the, the, the most prevalent issue is just underestimating how much time and money it takes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, that's one of the hard things we try to educate individuals and companies when they come to us and they say, Hey, I've got this really cool idea. Like I was hoping to launch it for black Friday, you know, and it's August. <laughs> and it's like, okay, Black Friday, maybe next year, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, it may be. And, 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 and that's, that's not to, to mock, you know, I mean, we're all there at one point, right? But that's just the reality is I think whatever you think it's going to take, triple it. And that's probably what it's going to take in both money and, and uh, time. And so we tell people, hey, if you're, if you're in consumer electronics, you're 18 months ahead developing product. If you're in, if you're in certain other categories, we say between three and nine months, 
before you can even place your order. Um, and then when you place your order, you need to give, if your factory tells you it's 20 days, count on 35, you know, and if your shipping guy tells you it's going to take 45 days, count on 60. And I would say the number one thing where we've ever run into issues early on, especially is setting poor expectations with customers and saying, oh yeah, we can do this. And this is at face value. Yeah, it's a 60 day thing. But in reality, when you understand the nuances of what you're dealing with and the holidays and the labor strikes and the, there are so many things in manufacturing that go wrong every single day that you will not, you know, you will not get there if you're too slim on your, on what you're counting on. So I'd say that's the number one thing and come with a budget, you know, come, come when you're ready to really do it right or um, be okay with it being pretty messy and difficult and that's okay too. But if you try to do it all without help, it, it, there's going to be a lot of things you learn. And sometimes you end up taking a container of product to the dump, you know, if you, <laughs> if you're not thoughtful and we've had to do that in our first couple of months when we, when we were too slim and, and too big for our, our eyes were too big for our stomach, you know, because you just got to do it. You, you got to check all the boxes. It's, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's worth taking the time and money. Yeah. That's the, that's the, the intense thing about supply chain. And for me, it's, it's also like mind boggling at the same time. It's like, it's all about processes. The person does the same thing over and over again, every day, essentially like you're trying to create redundancy, like you talked about, but then, problems redundantly pop up i guess and you're like what the heck man like you're supposed to, you think you have a well-oiled machine and then there's a labor strike then there's a tariff then there's a war and it's like what the heck you're like i thought we had this thing all oiled up and then there's parts of the supply chain you took for granted operating smoothly all of a sudden just create a huge kink in your your supply chain so um i think it's definitely very very valid i watched a um a documentary that I think the Washington post or some outlet like that created. Um, it was like a 30 minute, like supply chain and the state of the supply chain. Uh, this is a couple months ago. And the funny thing is, is that the whole thing was like talking about how it used to work and how it works now and all the issues that we're having now. And really the whole takeaway was it's surprising. It worked before COVID. And I'm like, <laughs> wait, really? Like, is that, like there's no explanation as to really why all these things are happening, why there are container shortages and this and that, but everything's just falling apart. But isn't it great that it used to work was really the, <laughs> the, the takeaway. And I was like, man, that kind of sucks, but it's true. There is, there are so many little pieces to operations to the supply chain that, that you just, it's hard to create a redundancy in every single one of those, especially as a small business. So having a partner that can kind of help mitigate some of those risks uh, is, is a huge, huge blessing. Yeah. So yeah, let's kind of uh, kind of twist it up a little bit here and kind of get into like a little story time with you, I guess. Um, if you want to share maybe uh, some of the more fun projects you've worked on or a unique product, I mean, we know your new favorite product is going to be the sunglass hat that I'm coming out yeah. with, with a fan <laughs> built into it. So minus that one, what other projects have been, been fun or unique or creative projects that you've uh, even enjoyed participating in? There's a, a, a large surf skate brand that reached out to us and they, they, um, they basically heard about us through our designers and, and they said, Hey, we're here. We want to go here and we want to use your capabilities to do it as a company. And so it was real. it's been, and we're, you know, still on the tail end of that, but they essentially said, we want to release 40 new products like immediately. 
Thank and you guys are the experts on these. And so basically, here's the list. And that's about it. And that's all it was, you know, here's your list, here's your 38 products. And, and we want them to be within brand for us. And we want them, we want you to design them, develop them, manufacture them and get them all delivered to us. And, um, and so that has been a, a really fun experience because we get to utilize all of our skills at once. And so part, part of our team, um, and I'm, I'm more on the op side. I'm a, I'm not a, I'm a fake developer. I'm not a designer at all. Um, but, I'm really on the operations supply chain side. So me and that side of the company are out, you know, sourcing in, in three or four different countries simultaneously. We're out visiting factories in Vietnam. We're doing that kind of stuff, getting them ready to meet the targets that this customer has. And at the same time, we have all eight of our designers working tirelessly to come up with. And for those of you who know, who know how hard it is to design a product, it's usually a several month thing to just get one product designed right on paper until it's through. So in a matter of three weeks, we flew out to California, met with this customer in three weeks, we came back to them with 38 products designed, nice. um, completely designed. Uh, now, you know, we're throughout you tweak and stuff at the same time, you're doing all the supply chain and it's coming together into this really cool project that we hope will be something we can do for years to come and can, can, pull off the product isn't all the way through the cycle of, of delivery um, at this point, but um, that was really fun. And like I said, I think the manufacturing is fun, but the design is like, it's like dessert, you know, seeing something that was literally a, a list on a piece of paper. And now it's this real thing that you're holding and to be a part of that in any way is it, it brings a lot of life into our company um, to, to have the idea boards all over the walls and people talking about it and prototyping. And it's, it's really fun. So that's, I think that's one in the recent uh, past that really stands out as, is fulfilling and exciting for us. Dude, 38 products that quick, like with developing insane. popsicle sticks or what? Like that's insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just, it, that seems intense to develop that much in that short of time. So and I probably shouldn't that. even cool. say it on this podcast because my design team will kill me for, for advertising that that could ever be repeated. <laughs> yeah, um, but we were like on our, our company retreat and the designers, you know, at 11 PM, we're all on their laptops designing, you know, so it, it took a tremendous lift, but, um, a, a, an amazing team. Well, that sounds, sounds like, like you're, uh, you're pretty dang busy. So we're, we're glad you took some time to, to chat with us and share your knowledge. Um, as we wrap up, uh, we asked three questions, to all of our guests. The first one is, um, if you had to start a product based business right now, what would it be and why? Yeah. So, um, we are starting some product-based businesses. Okay. So uh, a right. uh, little insight, insight track. Um, Easy question. This is just teed up for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Obviously, non, non-competitive. You know, it's important to us to be non-competitive to our customers, but there are plenty of plenty of untapped surfaces there, um, and that's part of our part of our goal going forward. But um, we, there are a couple things that that we were looking at. The the first one is recession-proof. So there are there are a handful of categories that are statistically known to be a lot more recession proof than others. You know things like pet, the pet category, um, personal care that doesn't go away, um, work from home type stuff. You know is obviously just growing, and so we're thinking really hard about what are the categories that are recession proof, because whether we really dive into a recession or not, the mindset that we are going there is is what will control. The, the, the economy will act like we're there in some regard, right? The consumer yeah. habits, if they feel that we're going there. And so 
that, that's that's one category. The other one that we're really thinking about is consumable for obvious reasons, right? That kind of that repeatability of, of a customer where there's a consumable. Um, and then the last one is demonstrable. Um, when you can really make a funny or cool or demonstrable video about it, you know, it gives you, it's, it's a different play than trying to grassroots a lifestyle brand with booths at, at every local warehouse sale and, and, um, market. And that's a, a super, uh, uh, fantastic successful way to do it it's just different and it takes a tremendous amount of investment over many years to compound and so we're thinking uh without i guess sharing the product ideas because we haven't quite gotten there those are the three things i'd say i'd think about and that we're thinking about um we're certainly not not the foremost experts but um we hope to be and from working with customers those are three that kind of are commonalities and things that tend to hit it hit it big I'm so you're looking for, it, oh, no, first, Steve. you're looking for a recessionable, demonstrable, consumable. Yeah. You know, so that it does all three. That's right. That, it, that's sounds right. Like, it sounds like you're making I just Google. I just Googled that. So I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's pretty cool. I like that. <laughs> Some article there. I feel like you made like Alex's sexy beard cream or something like that. It sounds like it hits all yeah. the parts, man. So <laughs> I'm excited to see what, what this is. You got me thinking, man. Excited for the yeah. product release here. That's awesome. Uh, yep. That's cool, man. Excited to see what you guys come out with. Um, our next question we ask our guests are what's the best piece of advice you can give someone who is starting a business? Yeah. Um, this is a hard one. And, and I'm, I think there's, there are, there are a few, but the one that I'd say is sticks out the most in my mind is timing is everything. Uh, and I think people don't think about timing as much as they should. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that. And then the second thing I want to come around to is that the people are way more important than the idea. And so the first one is um, timing and that's timing in the market. That's timing in your personal life. That's timing in your, you know, financially risk, risk profile, um, all of that. And so, excuse me, really for me, I tried to start a few little businesses before shift and, and they weren't, they weren't notable. And, and I don't think it's because I wasn't capable. And I don't think that a lot of businesses fail because the people aren't capable of succeeding. I think it's because the time isn't right. And you can't go into a business halfway. It's going to take everything you can give. And, and the good thing is, is I think most people give everything they can give anyway to the job that they have and the things that they're doing. And so you don't really have to change that, but you have to be all in. And so for some people, they say, hey, start it at night, do it in the background. And then when it gets legs, go. And sometimes you don't have a choice but to do that, right, based on where you're at in life. And that's great. But for me, I had to, I had to be all in. And the boats, you know, were burned and we're here and we have runway. And we started with, with a $70,000 loan that we paid back, you know, within the first 12 months. That's it. And it was a $70,000 loan. And it was to do a few key things that had to happen to start it. You know, and so for us, though, the timing was right. The timing was right because the company I worked for went bankrupt and I didn't have a job, you know, and the timing was right because I had an opportunity to go and help a few customers that I knew would pay me to do what I needed to do. And so all of that added up in my and I was and I was lucky enough to have a wife that has been tremendously supportive and OK with me not being around as much as I think a traditional setting. 
for the first, you know, X amount of years. And that's all been a huge blessing to the timing. And so I'd say, think about timing, think about the market timing and think about timing in your life and don't get discouraged if you've tried something and it's failed because it has, that really has no indication of you and your capabilities. Um, just, just try to time something better and go all in. And then the second thing I'll say is the people it's like in the, in the book, good to great. They talk a lot about the principle of like first two, then what? And that's been my mantra. And we have been so lucky to have the people first in a partner. Uh, my dad's the chairman of the board. And, you know, you just, you take having trust issues off the table from day one, if you pick the right people. And a lot of people end up in these spirals of like stress and worry because they can't trust someone they work with or they're fighting over power or they've got two people who want to be the CEO. And like, if you pick the right partner and the right founders and, and people to be around at the beginning that, that want, that want to highlight you and you want to highlight them and what they are good at, like you, you start leagues ahead, you know, and you just you leapfrog because the problems you're solving then are how do we make money? Not how do I, how do I deal with the drama of my office all the time? Um, and, and how do I trust the person and all of that, you know? And so the people, you, you, you're not going to fail if you get enough smart people who are driven together and, and don't try to pretend like, you know what you're doing because you don't. And I don't even still today. Like if someone says, what is shift going to be in a year? I have no idea. I'm doing my best to put together a roadmap, but you, it's, it's Steve jobs, right? Like you can only connect the dots looking backwards. Just go and find the people who will go through the battle with you and the smart people make up for all the rest and you'll be fine and you'll pivot and you'll keep trying. And, and if, you know, heaven forbid something happens to shift and we don't make it, like, I, I don't worry about not making it. I worry about, is this the right format? because we've got too many smart people to fail. We'll, we'll pivot. So uh, that's, that's my advice. Um, Whatever it's worth. Those are very well thought out. And I I think they're, it's funny. Usually we, a lot of people give cliche answers, which are great. And those are very much uh, good answers and very useful. But I feel like what you, what you just brought out was a lot on your personal experience, but it actually, yeah, very heartfelt. And it it actually validated some of the things that I've done because I've started, you know, half a dozen, almost a dozen businesses. And, you know, most, if not, well, almost all have not gone well. <laughs> so it really is. But the, the timing wasn't right for a lot of those, you know, maybe I wasn't as capable as I am now, but, but uh, it just wasn't the right timing. So that that's fantastic. So you've done a lot for us. You've given us a lot of your knowledge and a lot of your time. Um, what can our audience do for you? Are you looking for, obviously you're probably always looking for new clients, but you know, hiring, um, just connecting, talking with people. What's, what's, what are you doing? Yeah. I mean, uh, we, we, I think the thing about supply chain is, is it's, it's all networks, right? Um, yeah. it's, it's a trust thing. And so just knowing who we are, um, um, coming to us with anything we can do, whether it's, it's paid services or just coming to, to, to look for advice, help, whatever that's really fulfilling to us. And, and, um, I'd say, you know, we're always, as far as hiring, we're always anyone who's interested in this category that the, we'll scoop up any talent that we can, we can find that um, will help us build this dream that we have. And so, um, yeah, just know who we are, come get to know us and, and we'd love to be a part of your story in any way that we can. Where can we find you? Yeah. So, um, we are, we're right now we're in Orem, um, but our website is, um, our website is shiftglobal.com. And there's got contact information there. My, my email is Alex at shift global and seriously, like no, no request is too small. 
um, it's a big part of why we do it. So reach out and, and we'd love to get to know you and help you. Well, Alex, thanks so much, man. You've been super helpful. And so, uh, giving to the Sharehouse community, you, uh, came to our, uh, our event a couple of weeks ago and just knocked our socks off on near shoring, uh, and overseas, uh, manufacturing and just, uh, been a, a fountain of knowledge. So it's always great to network with someone that knows what they're talking about, especially in supply chain. There's a lot that go on. A lot of people, I think that, uh, think they know a lot, but you do know a lot. So we appreciate that. So it's yeah, always yeah. fun, fun talking with you. So I can't, can't, uh, say enough good things about you. So everyone that's looking out for supply chain stuff, Alex is the guy. So we're grateful to have you uh, on with us and, uh, look forward to connect soon. So thanks so much for your time. Thank you guys. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and visit us at sharehouse.com to join the community today.